0: Alrighty folks, thank you for joining us for episode 20.
1: Wow, yeah, we're getting up there.
0: Yeah, episode 20 of the Acts chapter chat. That means we're in Acts chapter 20. As we uh, are getting into the home stretch now, we're following the Apostle Paul primarily, and, and we're going to see pretty early in this chapter lots of uh, companions and cohorts uh, along the way. Um, this is his final preaching journey that really is going to cover the, the whole rest of the book. Um, he's working his way toward Jerusalem and then ultimately working his way toward Rome. Uh, Jason, you ready to jump in the boat with Paul?
1: Let's get in there.
0: All right, so Acts chapter 19 uh, found us uh, concluding in Ephesus. There was this big riot uh, prompted by Demetrius the silversmith. And uh, verse 1 is the the, uh, kind of the, 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 the epilogue to all of that. Verse 1, After the uproar ceased... Paul sent for the disciples, and after encouraging them, he said farewell and departed for Macedonia. Uh, Sometimes, and I think I've even mistakenly said before, that Paul kind of skedaddled and like hurried and got out of Ephesus because of the rioting. Uh, Verse 1 of chapter 20 really kind of makes it clear that wasn't so, because it wasn't until... It was after the uproar ceased, after things had quieted down, gotten calm. Maybe even some more time had passed before then. Paul, uh, you know, says his farewells and he's going to depart for the next leg of the trip.
1: Yeah, it's what it he like to me sure. um,
0: Verse two. Um, when he had gone through those regions, that's the regions of Macedonia, and he had given them much encouragement, he came to Greece. Can we just pause right here once again and point out something that we've we've, we've tried to point out a few other times that when Paul oftentimes, you know, he'd come through an area for the first time, all right, he's going to preach fundamentals, going to preach first principles, going to preach people the gospel. Then when he kind of makes his way back and he's passing back through those regions, there's always that, that strengthening and the admonition. And I just love this giving them much encouragement. And I'm pointing this out just because I'm saying this for myself as well as for the benefit of anybody else who, who does preaching. Preaching is more... Than just laying out doctrine and you know pounding away at the first principles and making sure we know all the right answers to stuff there's also a component to preaching that is encouragement and yes there's a place for admonishing and there's a place for rebuking there's a place for all of those different things but here's a passage that says specifically there's a place for encouragement in fact there's a place for much encouragement um, Anything else before we get to verse 3?
1: Well, it's, it's just if we try to focus too much on one area all the time, we're going to come up short no matter what it is.
0: Yeah, there needs to be balance.
1: Yeah, because we can't just have happy messages all the time right. of, yeah, we're all okay. Um, you know, sometimes we we do need that encouragement, and we do need some, uh, you know, pep talks. Um, but, you know, tempered in in what the Lord has instructed and so i I think that that's we definitely see both of those with paul um i think sometimes with paul we do focus a lot on how he's laying the groundwork and he is just uh just laying it out there calling out the false teachers whatever but uh no he, he sees the the need for the exhortation the encouragement
0: yeah yeah uh we need it all um and especially these you know a lot of those would have been regions with as we've talked about before new christians Yep. What do new Christians need? New Christians need lots of encouragement. And so we're going to get them the encouragement that they need. He then comes to Greece. Verse 3, he then spends three months in Greece. And when a plot was made against him by the Jews as he was about to set sail for Syria, that's probably to head back to, to, to the first home base, Antioch of Syria, he decided to return through Macedonia. And so there continues to be this um, s- uh, swelling of people who, who who have it out for Paul, and uh, and that's going to just grow with intensity as each chapter progresses here through through the end of the book. I think,
1: uh, I think Luke's trying to just remind us: don't forget about these Jews over here. This, yes, this is brewing.
0: Yes, there's there there are bad guys, you know, in the shadows and in the corners, and they're watching. Um, the plot here—we're not told exactly how that was revealed to him uh, on this particular occasion. You know, it may have just been—you know—word of mouth. It could have been the Holy Spirit made him aware of that. Both those are certainly possibilities. Um, but he's going to return through through Macedonia. Um, I'm going to suggest here that um, I think Paul had probably a real desire to want to go back and to check on the Corinthians. Now, he spent some time in Corinth, we noticed that a couple chapters ago, uh, what was it, a year and a half? Um, you know, which was, at that time, significantly longer than he had really stayed anywhere else. Ephesus yeah. uh, ends up trumping it um, a little bit later. But he has, I think, probably a soft spot in his heart for that Corinthian church. And, of course, we noted last time that when he was in Ephesus, that's when he would have sent that letter that we know as 1 Corinthians. And, of course, when he sent that first letter, if you've read 1 Corinthians, then you know that was a tough letter, to, probably for him to write, yeah. and it was a tough letter for them to have to read. Um, and so I think there was concern on Paul's part about how they would have reacted to that letter. And I think it's somewhere in this ballpark here that he sends the, that he had sent the 2 Corinthians letter um, to kind of address some stuff. And if you were to look in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, I do think he makes mention of uh, kind of as he's passing through these areas here. Uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 2, and in verse 12, he says, When I came to Troas to preach the gospel of Christ, even though a door was open for me in the Lord, my spirit was not at rest because I did not find my brother Titus there. So I took leave of them and went on to Macedonia. Uh, Titus, I think, if I'm not mistaken, was the one that he had sent uh, to go back and to check on the Corinthians. And hey, how, how, you know, what was the reaction there? You know, probably was a lot of concern about, you know, did they get upset at that letter? Um, and you know, you know, I said some stuff about, you know, withdrawing from this brother who was involved in sexual immorality, and I told them to put the clamp down on all the spiritual gift abuse and uh, how they were mistreating the Lord's Supper and all these. I mean, I said some hard stuff, uh, and I'm concerned about that. And, of course, there were people in the Corinthian church, just as there were in a lot of places, who a lot of times had a tough time even accepting Paul as an apostle. Hey, who's this guy telling us what to do? He's not even a real apostle. Get out of here. Leave us alone. We'll we'll take care of ourselves. I think there was a lot of concern when Paul did not immediately hear back from Titus and did not immediately hear back from the Corinthian church. So that then prompts the sending of this, this second letter here. Uh, and of course you get on into like, what is it, chapter 7 where Paul talks about, you know, I sent you that letter and... Uh, I, I, I was, you know, I was grieved. Um, you were grieved into repenting, etc., etc., uh, and it just kind of talks about his emotions and his feelings. Uh, for that Corinthian church, uh, so I think that's probably w- w- what's maybe being referenced here. Is he was, he was wanting to go back and check on those uh, brethren at Corinth in this uh, making this return through Macedonia again? What say ye?
1: Again, uh, it shows that Paul wasn't a heartless robot that was just I'm going to go and start a church here, then move on to the next place. Yeah, he really deeply cared about the people, and you know so too should we. You know, it, it's all about. You know, I think sometimes even when we we do become evangelistic and share the gospel with people, mm-hmm. it's almost more so of I want to build up my stats. You know, how many numbers can I get? Um, but it's not about that. It's about people. You know, we're converting people to the Lord, and it's all about, uh, you know, the individual people that, that we come in contact with, how much they grow mm-hmm. um, in the Lord. And so we need to be focused on that, and we need to be focused on on people, not numbers. Yeah,
0: and you know, and, and when we read a book like Acts, you know, that talk it gives us some numbers, yeah. you know, early on, 3,000 baptized, multitudes here, multitudes there, it's easy to get fixated on the numbers or to even think that Luke or even the people back then were fixated on numbers. I don't think that was the point of telling us uh, all of that. Um, Paul here he, he sees souls and it's it's not numbers and and that's the way we need to be and it's not about what numbers on the attendance chart at the church building or uh, or or even how many you know notches in my belt I get for all the people I've helped baptize uh, that's not it it's about caring about people's souls helping people to come to a knowledge of the truth so that they can be saved um, Paul had that kind of concern you know even beyond the, the baptism stuff you know that, that's that's really kind of the, the short part of it, the long part of it, is the rest of life that has to be lived, and uh, you know, being a part of a local church and and all the things that go along with that, and that's what Paul,
1: I think, had had such great concerns about for for those Corinthian brethren. Um, I, I think so. Second Corinthians is one of my favorite books because I mean, the emotion you see from mm-hmm. Paul is just you don't get that anywhere else. Yeah, um, and that's just a fascinating read. So, side note for anybody. <laughs> Uh, looking for a, a good read, Second Corinthians. That's that, that'll get you.
0: Yeah, uh, well, First and Second Corinthians. That may be a future chapter chat because boy, that'll make for some lively discussion oh, for man. sure. <laughs> um, so, all right, so he's, he's, he's passing through these regions. He's got a short amount of time to stay here because we're on the way to Jerusalem. Got to get to Jerusalem. You're going to notice there in verse 6, uh, talking about the days of unleavened bread. Uh, there's going to be mention made uh, a few verses down as well about, uh, at the end of verse 16, about getting to Jerusalem, hastening to be there if possible on the day of Pentecost. Uh, so this is, you know, during that time of the year on the Jewish calendar when... Uh, you know, lots of people are making the trek to Jerusalem that are uh, still trying to abide by all the important dates on the Jewish calendar. So Paul's heading in that direction. And in this particular instance, he's heading there not just for those purposes, not just so he could be there for Pentecost and all that stuff. He's actually got another purpose as to why he's going to Jerusalem. And I think verse 4, kind of unspokenly, tells us what that is. Luke doesn't talk about this in the book of Acts really at all that I'm aware of, but Paul sure talks about this an awful lot and that is this contribution that was taken up for the needy saints back in Jerusalem. Paul had a great concern for seeing Gentile brethren, you know, brethren from all these Gentile type churches that he's helped to establish all over the place, for them to be involved in the help and support and the benevolent need of their Jewish brethren that were really being affected back home, or back in the you know where all this started back in Jerusalem, and that's what I think we're going to see here in verse four. So we're told of some of these companions. Sopater, the Berean, son of uh, Pyrrhus, uh, accompanied him, and of the Thessalonians, Aristarchus and Secundus. That's a, those are cool names. Both of those <laughs> are. Uh, sure. There's a Gaius, 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 Gaius of Derby, uh, and Timothy. We know Timothy and of the Asians, Tychicus and Trophimus. These went on ahead and were waiting for us at Troas. Let's just stop right there for a second. Um, I think these guys are mentioned because you've got kind of a representative from each of these major congregations or regions where churches have been established, and these are people from those places bringing the funds that have been collected from those places, and we're we're, we're accompanying Paul so that we can deliver those funds in person to our our Jewish brethren back in Jerusalem. And uh, again, Paul talks about that a lot. In Well, the Corinthian letters are, are big on that. You know, 1 Corinthians chapter 16, he specifically talks about the contribution uh, that the Corinthians were to be involved in. In 2 Corinthians, he makes reference to uh, the, the The Macedonians and how they gave and just the great you know spirit and attitude that they had in that that giving and it's all talking about this this collection for this purpose and I think that's who these guys are in verse four. Is that who you understand
1: these guys probably are? you know for once I agree with you I think that, that is uh, <laughs> that's pretty spot on there yep uh, it it lines up especially with what he says in second Corinthians eight about the Macedonian churches who gave beyond their means really yeah and you know trying to incite the corinthians to step it up a little bit yeah um but yeah yeah that's what i see here i I think that that shows the importance of uh you know paul he was a very transparent type person Mm -hmm. and he wanted to make sure he was he was definitely above the books on everything um and so having people this this was smart having people from each group sort of go along with their specific gift yeah to to just give everybody peace of mind that, okay, what you contributed to, that's what it's going to be used for. Yeah. You know, Nothing wrong with a, a little bit of accountability there, mm-hmm. um, especially with, that was probably a, a large sum of money by this point, it seems like there's a lot of people there. Uh, and maybe it helps too with traveling. If you're traveling with uh, a lot of money, uh, you might want more people there. Get some so, guards, yeah. yeah.
0: That, that the, 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 I'll tell you, know, well, you mentioned two purposes. I'll give you a third purpose of having these guys letting these Gentile brethren get to come face-to-face with their Jewish brethren back in Jerusalem. Yeah. You know, how that would help with the encouragement that that both sets of those groups needed to have, you know. Um, it's hard to be mad at people when you're face to face with them mm-hmm. you know or to have prejudices you know it's easy to to you know to make snide comments and, and those sorts of things when you're not around people or you're behind people's backs but when those people are there face to face with you it's, it's kind of hard not to have just love for them and to see the purity in their motives and what they're doing here it's not like you know if paul just come with all this money um and you know none of the people with him and it was just the money you could have had some opportunity there for the Jewish brethren to say, Yeah, yeah, these people are just doing this to get on our good side, mm-hmm. or, you know, this is a bribe almost. But when they're there face to face and they've made this long journey to come and to see you face to face, it'd be pretty hard to have those kinds of hard hearted thoughts and, um, you know, just ugly attitudes. Yeah. Um, so lots of good purposes by bringing all these guys along. And plus, you know, let's throw a fourth reason in there. It gets more people involved. That's always a positive. When you can get more people involved in the work of the kingdom, that's a that's a win every time. Um, that's never going to be a bad thing. You know, we saw Barnabas being really good at that. You know, he wants to get John Mark included, even though Paul didn't. And at that time, when we talked about the split happening, you know, I think we may have even given the impression that Paul was. You know, I, 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 don't, I don't want people with me and I'm kind of a loner. Well, no, that's not the case, evidently. Right. Paul, Paul wants people with him and he wants to include uh, other workers right alongside him. And that's who these guys are. Um, we might be wondering as we look there at verse 4... You know. All right, so we got mention of all right, the Bereans, So we got somebody there from uh, evidently the the church established at Berea. There's mention of the the Thessalonian church. Uh, that some of the churches there uh, in Asia, uh, Derby, etc., uh, etc. Et One of the more notable places, though, from the second missionary journey, that we might be wondering, well, where is Philippi? That was a pretty big spot for Paul. Yeah. And of course, when Paul writes the Philippian letter, I mean, he talks about how those guys are so giving and so um, you know, b- b- benevolent and supportive and all those sorts of things when it comes to financial assistance. Where might be the Philippian assistance coming from? Well, I think it's here, and I think it's very subtle. I think it's there in verse 5. Notice it says, These went on ahead and were waiting for us at Troas. We have here the subtle shift in the pronouns once again. You may have noticed, well, I I didn't do a good job of noticing it, (laughs) but we had a couple chapters there where we didn't have any of this we and us language. It was they and them, they did this. Whereas when we were in Philippi, Luke talked about we and us. Luke was with them. And I think that's probably a clue that Luke stayed at Philippi and was part of that work there. And then now here in verse 5 when it says these went on ahead and were waiting for us at Troas, Luke is now rejoining the group in person, and I think Luke may be the representative from from Philippi. He's going to bring their contribution here. What say you? I,
1: I think so. He I mean, it it was it's very clear if you look at the pronouns. You know, Philippi is probably where he was left and makes sense he's he's coming back there. But it it's interesting how Luke doesn't make it all about him right you know it, it's kind of funny it, if if we were in that position I don't know th- there might be a temptation even though Paul's the one who's really getting out there is like but, but you know what I did I want
0: to make sure I would get some credit for this too yeah, yeah yeah we've almost got to like pull out a magnifying glass to even notice the mentions <laughs> of where Luke was involved you know it's such small words as us and we that's a small word yes <laughs> and so uh but it's there and and, yeah. and and that's that's maybe that's the holy spirit kind of guiding that and making sure that you know we kind of see Luke's involvement because once again really again from this point out i think Luke is with him for the pretty much the remainder of of his journeys and so there is going to be lots of we and us language and we're going to see details again that um, really only Luke would would know if he was seeing those things in person. Okay. So we've got all these different folks from all these different congregations that Paul had, had helped to establish and brethren, and they're bringing these funds uh, toward Jerusalem. And that is, I, I do believe, when you kind of piece together with the other epistles, and that's probably been my favorite thing about these Acts studies, is mm. getting to connect together all of the epistles as well. And we need to do that. I, I think that's so important for us in order to understand the the entirety of the Bible and how it all does fit together. And Paul didn't just write, you know, just these isolated little letters just out of the blue in a vacuum for no reason. No, there was always, you know, a a purpose behind them and there was things going on that led to that and Acts helps to fill in uh, a lot of that information. Verse 6, "...but we sailed uh, away from Philippi after the days of unleavened bread, and in five days we came to them at Troas where we stayed for seven days." Um, so um, we come now to Troas, and we're going to get this uh, rather famous uh, event that happens here beginning in verse 7. Uh, other thoughts to the first six verses?
1: I've uh, got nothing for you this time.
0: Okay, so uh, it says that they stayed for seven days, and the beginning of verse 7 is going to talk about on the first day of the week. So uh, evidently this is when they came to Troas, we have come there on Monday, and we're going to be there for seven days. Verse 7 now, On the first day of the week, when we were gathered together to break bre- bread, Paul talked with them, the brethren at Troas, intending to depart on the next day, and he prolonged his speech until midnight. Now, uh, th- this passage is uh, famous for well several reasons. Uh, it's kind of infamous for the, uh, the fellow that's going to uh, have an untimely passing here in just a few moments and the nature of that. But before we get to that, um, one of the things that this passage is famous for is that it provides... Probably the most clear evidence in Scripture of the assemblies of the church as to when those regularly took place. Um, Verse 7 says, On the first day of the week. And then the structuring of the wording there, when we were gathered together to break bread, seems to indicate that this was deliberate. Like we came together that day for this purpose. It doesn't seem like it's worded in a way that says, well, we just happened to be there all together in this same place on this random day. And so we just figured since we were there together, we might as well do the breaking of bread, which I believe is an idiom here for the Lord's Supper. Uh, I don't think it's talking about just eating a meal. In fact, a few verses down, we're going to see breaking bread be used again. And I do think it is talking about eating a meal. But I think here it's, it's idiomatic of, of, of eating and partaking of, of, of the Lord's Supper, eating the bread and drinking the fruit of the vine. Um, it seems as if Luke is indicating... We were coming there that day specifically because we wanted to meet with the church on the first day of the week in order to uh, partake of the Lord's Supper and to be involved in probably maybe even some other worshipful activities, uh, maybe some singing, maybe some praying. Uh, Well, as much praying has been going on in the book of Acts, I just can't imagine there wasn't some praying going (laughs) on there that day. And then there's some preaching. And in fact... (laughs) <laughs> Folks, I think have often got the impression there must have been a lot of preaching that day. <laughs> and I think maybe part of the reason that we think that is because we think about, you know, what's our normal, like, worship time on Sunday? Like, you know, 9 o'clock, 10 o'clock in the morning. <laughs> and so we think, all right, and Paul preached till midnight. He preached like a 12-hour sermon? <laughs> what in the world's going on? Well, that's probably not when they came together that day. No. I think more than likely they came together in the evening. Of course the very next verse is going to say there are many lamps in the upper room where we were gathered, verse 8. So it was evening time uh, and I don't think like they had started early in the day and then oh we better turn on some lamps because it's getting dark. I think they probably just didn't even come together until it was later in the day and that probably would have been for the benefit of Gentile people who maybe some of them maybe were slaves. And if you're a slave and you do get some time off, and you know, in, in your in your day from your work, it's not going to be until the evening, until the later hours of the evening. And actually, this Eutychus fellow we're going to meet in verse nine, I think that probably even explains, you know, his situation. It probably is going to explain why he fell asleep, because he probably was a slave. <laughs> um, and so when we think about Paul's speech continuing until midnight, all right, I mean, yeah, it, it maybe could have been a couple hours, maybe even three or four. I don't know, um, but um, there's preaching happening, and, and there's the Lord's Supper taking place, and I don't think it's just a coincidence that it's happening on the first day of the week. I think this is the Holy Spirit giving us um, an example that we can see, yeah, that's, that's got the Lord's approval on it. That, that, you know, An apostle was there. If the Lord's Supper was being taken on you know, just some other random day of the week that maybe you know, w- w- was not going to be met with the Lord's approval, then that apostle guy would have spoke up and said, whoa, hey, I'm not really sure we ought to be doing that today. Mm -hmm. Um, There's lots of evidence outside of Scripture that that Christians met together on the first day of the week and that that very early on became uh, the pattern. Um, But right here's a good starting point. If I'm looking for some kind of biblical authority for when do you do the Lord's Supper and how often do you do that and all those sorts of things, this is going to be a great place to start.
1: Yeah, we need to keep in mind that um, the way the Bible is written, it, it's not, as some people claim, a series of just rules. It's not like a rule book of, yeah. here is how your Sunday assemblies look. Um, we don't have that. Right. And so what what do we do then? Is there no way that we can determine what the truth is and how, how we should worship the Lord? I think he's given us some specific things here. You know, everything that's in the Bible is written, and it's there for a reason. And so when we read this, um, when it uses language like that, you know, when we met together, it's like, okay, well, obviously we were going to meet together and break bread that day. Because, you know, that's the way that Luke writes that. Yeah. Um, I don't think that was just a throwaway phrase. I I think it was uh, very uh, indicative. Indicative. It, that's the word. It showed that. I've had trouble with that word a few times, I there think. There you go. Uh, but anyways, yeah, he, uh, he, he's showing that this is what we did. It's like if, if that's their their practice, if that was the, the common thing that they did, um, I think that should instruct us a, a little bit, and we should should take that and, and, and go with it. Um, you know, the other thing there about the, the prolonging his message until midnight you know, communication during that time it was kind of hard. Uh, you know, Paul he could send a letter or something, and so I could see why even you know two three hour sermon you know whatever he has a lot he wants to tell them. Yeah, I mean, he he wants to instruct them. He's not going to be with them for very long, so
0: there may have been some kind of you know, reciting and retelling of of uh, some of the events and, and things that had happened on the you know his previous preaching journey. It wasn't probably just like. I'm going to sit here and lecture you from the scriptures, there probably was, it maybe was kind of a blend of, of all of that together, which, yeah, it's probably going to take a while.
1: Yeah, yeah a little bit. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, uh, but Paul wasn't afraid to, to step up and do it. Yeah, uh, yeah. And so that's that's just interesting. And I think, you know, how would we feel if someone, you know, even if we started meeting at, at 9 o'clock at night, um, you know, I mean, even at 10 o'clock, we'd be like, all right, you know, <laughs> we've been here a while. Yeah. Um, but they cared enough to, to listen.
0: Yeah. Um, one of the things that gets kind of thrown out here about this, you know, so, so we, we point to this passage to say that this is why we partake of the Lord's Supper. Uh, on the first day of the week, on Sunday, is because of, 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 of this passage, or at least this is the first place we, we go to point that out. Yeah. One of the things that people will sometimes say in objection to that is they'll say, well, if, if you're talking about Jewish time, then you may actually just be talking about Saturday night. Hmm. And you may not even actually be talking about Sunday. Um, and I do understand that there is some differences in Jewish time and Roman time. I get all of that. But my response to that is always very simple. What does Luke say? <laughs> yeah, Luke yeah, says it was the first day of the week. And whether that meant Jewish time or Roman time, he meant it to be the first day of the week. And, and I think that you know, Luke's a smart guy. He was a doctor. You know, I think that if he meant for it to be Saturday night, he would have said, and on the seventh evening of the week <laughs> um, was, yeah. was when we broke bread. But he didn't. He says on the first day of the week. Uh, that they did that, and so uh, I'm just going to rely on the simplicity of just what's said there in Acts 20 verse 7. Throw out one other thing real quick. Sometimes you'll hear a brother, maybe you know, getting up at the the Lord's table, going to make some comments, you know, before we partake of the supper. And sometimes you'll hear, maybe sometimes it'll be said even in a in a prayer. I've been places where where this has been said this way before. Is folks will say we come together today to partake of the Lord's supper. Uh, as we have been commanded on the first day of the week. Well, let's just be careful about that. I realize that's a small thing in our wording, but there's not actually a command Mm -hmm. to protect the Lord's Supper on the first day of the week. That's not what Acts 20 verse 7 is. There's no command there. What we have is we have an example that does seem to have uh, some authority to it because there's an apostle involved and they, they came together for that purpose you want to be more precise about your wording, whether you're at the table making the talk or whether you're just talking to another person, let's just be clear about that. And just let's just make clear, we have an example in scripture where Christians came together and partook the Lord's Supper on the first day of the week. As soon as we let those words come out of our mouth, we're commanded to take the Lord's Supper on the first day of the week. We've already set ourselves up for for, yeah. for argument. So let's take those kinds of just the you know the poor choice of word mm-hmm. things. Let's take that off the table. And let's just use correct wording so that we don't give people ammunition to, to to deny what what I do believe is an apostolic example here.
1: Yeah, and that that's fair. You know, just because the Bible doesn't come out and clearly state on the first day of the week you will you will meet together as a church to you know partake of the Lord's mm-hmm. supper. Um, Just because we don't have that doesn't mean that this is any kind of less authoritative. You know, the the Apostle Paul seemed to be on board with that. You know, this group was doing this for that purpose. Uh, You have other passages to indicate that they did come together to do this. This does seem like a, you know, a, a group type of activity. There are certain things that we do as individuals and there are certain things we can do as a group it says they were gathered together to break the bread mm-hmm. here so um it it wasn't something that you know was just sort of optional No, know the, the people came together and they they decided you know for whatever reason that that was what they needed to do because of that yes i i do believe we could we can look at this and get take take that kernel of truth out out that that's what we need to do too
0: yeah and you know when we look at other places in the bible it seems like the the first day of the week had significance uh, in, in other ways as well to Christians, and, I, and again, I don't think that's a coincidence. Um, you know, the day of Pentecost, when the church was established back in Acts two, what day of the week was that? Well, that was on Sunday. That was the first day of the week. Uh, that's the way the calendar w- would have fallen. First um, Corinthians chapter sixteen, when Paul talks about you know that that collection that was to be taken up, when was that to be done? On the first day of the week. And actually, there, the ESV renders that. Uh, each first day of the week, every first day of the week. So that might even yeah. indicate as well that there was regularity. It wasn't just a random Sunday here and there. It was every Sunday they were coming together to do those things. Um, then, of course, Jesus' resurrection. What day was that? Well, that was on the first day of the week. I don't think that's coincidental that now we're going to meet together and partake of the Lord's Supper and we're going to remember His death, burial, and resurrection on the very day of the week which He rose from the dead. Um, you know, sometimes folks will, you know, point to other days of the week. Um, you know, well, what would be wrong with Tuesday? Well, I'm a big fan of Tuesday. I like getting tacos on Tuesday. And there's other good things that happen on Tuesday. But Tuesday doesn't seem like it would have the same kind of significance um, that Sunday clearly already had established in the, the Christian tradition. And, um, you know, sometimes folks will point to, well, what about Thursday? You know, when Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper, seems like that was on Thursday evening of, of, of the week of the Passover, um, and I, I understand about that. And, you know, if we had came here to, to Acts chapter 20 and it said, on Thursday we gathered together to break bread, um, then this would be a completely different discussion. Um, but that's not the, the, the pattern that we see. The pattern that we see is, is Sunday, the first day of the week, and uh, those reasons probably, and, and others as well, um, just say to us that, that Sunday is a significant day. It's a significant day for the Lord. I mean, the world began on a Sunday, on the first day of the week. That's kind of how numbers work. Uh, so, um, so yeah, there's there, there's just significance across the board. In Acts 20, verse 7, that, that makes this just kind of a, an important passage for us when we think about why we do what we do.
1: Yeah, and I think this indicates, too, that, um, you know, reading one verse... You know, you you could come to some different conclusions here, mm-hmm. but based on you know the the entirety of Scripture and how this was all working together, I think that's how we need to approach this. Yeah. You know, you you look and see, okay, does this make sense in the context of gospel teaching of what we've seen so far and what's what's to come? Uh, you know, you mentioned earlier about how all the epistles work together mm-hmm. with this and and it's this is just a good good spot I think to talk about you know Bible study how do you do that how do we interpret the Bible how do we know that we are looking at it the right way well if if you're looking at something and it doesn't jive with anything else then you're probably looking at it wrong yeah um, and, you know it works together God is not the author of confusion so he wants things to to be pieced together um, and so, Psalm
0: 119, 160, the sum of your word is truth. Sum, S-U-M, yeah. of your yeah. word is truth. Need it all fit, fit together. Um, so they are there on this, uh, th- this, this evening worship assembly. Yeah. Um, probably, you know, if you're looking for a passage in the Bible that maybe gives some of the most clear you know, pictures of what a New Testament worship assembly looked like, you'd probably want to go to like 1 Corinthians 14. That would certainly give some real um, vivid imagery of what that would look like. But you'd want to couple it with a verse like this that gives some, some, some info as well. Um, verse 9, uh, we're told there that while Paul's doing that preaching, while they're worshiping together that evening, that there was a young man named Eutychus sitting at the window. And he sank into a deep sleep as Paul talked still longer. How's is that? How it says it in the New American Standard?
1: Paul kept on talking. Paul kept on talking.
0: <laughs> you just kind of wonder. if Maybe that's a little Luke, you know, shot at humor uh, to just right. you know make a joke about long-winded preaching. Um, you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna certainly as a preacher, I'm gonna jump in here, you know, to Paul's defense. And maybe i just kind of say as well, you know, about verse 7, when it talked about he continued to speech until midnight. Um, sometimes you'll hear people say that the Lord's Supper is the most important part of our worship. Mm. And uh, it's hard for me to argue and say the Lord's Supper is not important because it most certainly is important. But the truth is the Bible never says that. Yeah. The Bible never says that it's the most important part of of worship I actually think if, if you were going to make that statement and I don't think you should but if you were going to make that statement you probably want to make that statement about preaching because preaching is all over the New Testament and you know what was what seems like took up the bulk of that assembly that evening in acts 20 it seems like the preaching was uh, and it was the the proclamation of, of the word and so um, you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna jump in here to Paul's defense and say, hey man, he's he's doing important stuff. I'm not gonna say he's doing the most important thing, but he's doing something that clearly God places a premium on. Preaching is so important. Uh, God uses these earthen vessels, flawed and broken as we are, but He does use earthen vessels in order to transport His word uh, to other people. And um, so. Paul wants to preach till midnight. If that's what it takes to get it done, then God bless him, and I'm going to encourage him in 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 that activity. Um, yeah,
1: sometimes we get in trouble if, if we try to. And and again, like something we said earlier, if you focus too much on one thing, you're going to come up short. Yeah, and and that's it. You know, the wording there. Okay, when we were gathered together to break bread, maybe that was the major purpose, but it it's not like. Okay, we should only focus on that. That's the only thing. Yeah. Because as you brought up, preaching is so important. It's all over. Um, and so can, can we avoid that? I don't, I don't think so. Right. Um, and there's, there's just so many aspects of our worship to God that, you know, as, as a collective group of people and individually too, um, you know, there's, there's more to it than just one thing. Um, and sometimes I'm afraid we think, okay, if I could just get this one thing right, I'm Okay. <laughs> um and you know it it's it's the idea that okay does partaking in the lord's supper make me holy somehow or will isn't will the by partaking of the bread does that mean i have eternal life yeah. cuz that's what john 6 says <laughs> yeah. you know that's no that's not the point right uh, it's it's a whole you know total approach
0: and maybe that's, that's that's part of the the wisdom of god in in what he is designed for you know the activities that we're engaged in when we worship, that there is kind of, I mean, it sounds crass to say this, but that there's variety in what we do, yeah. and and certain people maybe are going to you know latch on to man that singing stuff, boy that that just really. It really helps me, you know, draw closer to the Lord, and you know, maybe even more so than a sermon, or maybe a person, you know, not really, you know, have that musical bone in their body, and so they connect more with with with, with the preaching of the word, and, and that's how uh, they're stimulated and encouraged. Maybe some people are 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 more prayerful. And, and they're brought closer to the to the heart of God and the throne of God through prayer than anything else. And certainly the Lord's Supper. There's another facet of something that man. That, there's something about those those quiet moments together when we're reflecting upon that. And, um, and you put all that together, and you've got everything that God wants. But I don't think it's necessarily wrong to maybe have kind of an inclination toward toward one facet of our worship over another. Um, I'm a, I'm a, i am am like good preaching, so I, I'm like I said. Paul's going to get my thumbs up, you know, for as long as I'd love to sit and listen to Paul preach. Oh, for sure. Um, but he preaches a long time. Luke says, <laughs> and we got this guy Eutychus. His name is a Greek name, which which may may be indication to us that he, he maybe was just a, he may have just been a slave. And if that was the case, he's worked hard all day long, and now he's tired. That's just naturally what's going to happen. He's sleepy. And being overcome by sleep, he fell down from the third story and was taken up dead. So the clear moral of this story is don't fall asleep in church.
1: (laughs) I think that's what he's saying.
0: That's exactly (laughs) the reason Luke recorded this. No, that's not the reason I think this is recorded, although that is a good point. You shouldn't fall asleep in church. And, you know, I've had people say... You know, you know, you shouldn't shouldn't jump on folks who you know maybe do start to drift off during the sermon or you know are sleeping a little bit during the service Uh, because you know I mean even Eutychus did. Okay, listen, if you've been slaving and doing backbreaking labor all day long and you've just come in probably didn't even had time to even get a shower or get any kind of rest and you're just straight from the, the, the the slave fields doing that work, okay, you get a pass. Yeah, <laughs> but for Fair. most of us, you know, we're talking about like a Sunday morning assembly where you had all night to get restful sleep. Yeah, and I realize some people do work third shifts. So I'm maybe not necessarily talking to them, but I'm talking about most everybody else. You've had all evening to get rested, to get yourself prepared to come and to meet with the Lord on Sunday morning. Most time, you ain't got any excuse.
1: No, that's true. Uh, I, I think too, and this maybe we should think a little bit about. You know what are our Saturday night activities mm-hmm. looking like you know are we being prepared yeah because I think there's there's a, a huge aspect of you know worship uh, you know it's not just about what we do in the worship assemblies but how do we prepare for that what are we doing to our bodies beforehand yep. are we are we resting you know that sort of thing um, and are we coming ready to honor heart the word of all creation. Yeah. You know, that's huge. You know, when
0: Israel came to Mount Sinai in Exodus 19, God gave instructions to Moses to deliver to the people, hey, you got three days before I come and meet you on the mountain. And in that three-day period, wash your clothes, tells men don't go near a woman, don't be involved, you know, you need to limit some of your, your activities, um, get your mind, get your heart prepared, because you are coming to meet with God for them in a very, you know, literal sense. God yeah. came down on the mountain. For us, we, we come to, to, to the mountain of God, to Mount Zion, you know, in, in the spiritual sense. Um, and but the preparation should be no less. Yeah. There needs to be that, you know, that Saturday night, maybe even, even the, the whole week, the whole week leading up to Sunday. <laughs> there ought to be kind of anticipation and fervor and excitement. Like I can't wait for Sunday to get here. Yeah. That's the way that we ought to be. Yeah,
1: I think so. That's really good. Now, an- another thing here in this verse, um, and I, I don't know how how much of a deal to make this, and I, I'm not necessarily calling Eutychus out for this or anything, but... Uh, I think there's a parallel between uh, what happens when we fall asleep spiritually. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, when you fall asleep spiritually. You fall out of windows. You fall. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Spiritual windows. Um, <laughs> you fall and you die. Yeah. I mean, that's what happens. Yep. If if we aren't diligent spiritually, that does happen. Yep. Um, so that, that's at least a parallel. Yeah. We can, um
0: you know we we've been talking about apostolic examples here, and maybe the example that we should take from this verse, verse nine is don't have don't meet in church buildings that have a third story <laughs>
1: <laughs> too because high.
0: it's too high, too high it's too there's too much yep. temptation to fall asleep and too much danger, and the fact of the matter is. And I'll do Bible drills with the kids, and sometimes when we'll get to the Eutychus story, we'll talk about this. And I, will, I don't care to just say, look, this passage, y'all, y'all take seriously, don't fall asleep in church. And, and although that may not be the main reason for it, uh, I have said if you fall asleep in church and you fall out of the window and you die, the problem is... I'm not going to be able to raise you from the dead. (laughs) I don't have that power. And nobody else here does have that power. And that is what makes it very different from what happened with Paul because Paul is going to raise him from the dead. So verse 10, Paul went down and he bent over him and taking him in his arms said, Do not be alarmed, for his life is in him. Now, some have asked before, well, was he maybe just not actually dead? You know, looking at Paul's words. His life is in him, maybe he's actually okay. he's just you know knocked unconscious or you know he's really really injured uh, and paul's saying he's like I think he's dead yeah. uh, you know the same way that Paul you know after he got stoned back in where was it Lystra or wherever it was yeah. uh and you know the language there you know he, he said he was left for dead or however it was worded I think it's very possible that Paul did die back then. Uh, I think Paul's using this language kind of in the same way that, you know, Jesus used the language whenever uh, he went to raise Jairus' daughter from the dead, and he used that expression that she's, she's asleep. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's just wording to just indicate she, she's fixing to come back to life. Yeah, And, and I think that's the case here. He's, he's fixing to come right back to life. Yeah. Um, and so I don't think there's any doubt. And I think this is, once again, we've noticed these a few other times, I think this is another place where Luke is deliberately showing us that Paul is following in the footsteps of Jesus, doing the things that Jesus did, and that Paul was on equal footing with Peter, he's able to do the same things that Peter did. You know, Jesus raised Jairus' daughter from the dead. Peter raised Dorcas from the dead. Now here's Paul raising Eutychus from the dead. Uh, this, is, this is Luke's way of kind of accrediting Paul as he is a real apostle. He really is uh, one who has the Spirit of the Lord upon him. Um, Verse 11, when Paul had gone up and had broken bread and eaten, he conversed with them a long while until daybreak and so departed, and they took the youth away alive, and they were not a little comforted. I always love those little <laughs> not statements that Luke uses. Uh, everyone was very comforted, very relieved that Eutychus uh, survived this, you know, n- n- well, I was going to say near death, but it was a death experience. <laughs> Uh, he died, but he got better. Yeah. Um, verse 11 is the, is the place where I do think where the expression broken bread there is just referring to just eating a meal, just a, a common meal. I think the use of the word uh, eaten after it, I think it kind of ought to be our clue that this is something different than the breaking of bread that takes place when we take the Lord's Supper. Um, this is Paul getting his belly filled, getting physical sustenance so that he can carry on the next leg of the journey.
1: Which is necessary. Yes. Um, a couple of things here. Uh, Eutychus, his his name literally translated means lucky. Are you serious? I didn't <laughs> yeah, know that. So that's, <laughs> it's like at first you would say I don't know that he was that lucky, <laughs> um, but it turns out Lucky Paul was there. Yeah. So he
0: yeah. should change that to like blessed or you know <laughs> whatever the equivalent of blessed is in Greek.
1: Right. Yeah. That's just kind of ironic. Um, but also when. It, Thinking about the age of Eutychus, um, I think I read somewhere that the beginning of verse 9 where it says he was a young man. Uh, Usually that word translated young man means somewhere between the ages of 8 to 14. So, you know, there verse 12, I think you said the youth was taken up. Mm -hmm. One says the boy uh, was alive. You know, he probably wasn't really young, but he probably wasn't like old either. Um, And so that just... That shows, you know, if you see a, a smaller kid, even 14, you know, have a, a tra- an accident like that, it, was, there, it would be a lot of panic, yeah. you know, and that would be a scary thing. Um, and that's why Paul has to say, you know, don't be troubled. Yeah. Um, and he's, he's trying to help them. Um, and they were greatly comforted there, verse 12. That's, that's just, uh, it, you put yourself in that situation and it means a lot to you. Yeah,
0: there's nothing scarier than when a kid, you know, is, is hurt or, or injured or, you know, in this case, you know, dies. Uh, this is reminiscent as well of, you know, I was talking about, you know, how Paul is, you know, he, he's mirroring what Peter did and what Jesus did. And when you mention there about, you know, the fact that this was a, a young man like this, it reminds me as well, it's reminiscent of, you know, prophets like Elijah and Elisha. Both of those guys raised... Yeah young men from the dead. So here's Paul kind of walking in in, in their footsteps, uh, so to speak, as well. Um, Verse 13 now. But going ahead to the ship, we set sail for Asos, intending to take Paul aboard there, for so he had arranged, intending himself to go by land. Now, this is one of those things where, like, when I'm in heaven, I want to ask Paul about this in verse 13. This is, uh, to my knowledge, as far as the distance that Paul is going to walk by land, about 20 miles. So, come on, Paul, you've just got done preaching a long sermon, and I know how tired I am on yeah. you know on Sunday evening after preaching. Um, just get in the boat, buddy. Come on, take a nap. You know, get some rest. What's the deal with you wanting to walk while everybody else gets on the boat? We don't know. Uh, it may just be Paul, you know, maybe just kind of wanted that time by himself, for all I know. You know, I, I know I kind of like having, you know, some come down time after mm-hmm. after preaching. Maybe he wanted the time to be able to just, you know, as he's walking and journeying, to be involved in prayer. Uh, just left alone to his, his thoughts and meditating and thinking about things. Um Don't entirely know, but uh, at least for that one little section of the journey, got the rest of the crew on a boat, Paul's doing some walking on the land.
1: Yeah, I have nothing to say about that because there's nothing there.
0: There's nothing there. (laughs) Verse 14, Then when he met us at Asos, we took him on board and went to Mytilene. And sailing from there, we came the following day opposite uh, Chios. And the next day we touched at Samos, and the day after that we went to Miletus. Then verse 16, For Paul had decided to sail past Ephesus so that he might not have to spend time in Asia, for he was hastening to be at Jerusalem, if possible, on the day of Pentecost. Um, so there's the mention of all these stops here, and actually several of those are cities that these are the only time that they're mentioned at all in the New Testament. But if you're plotting all of that on a, you know, on a map, you've you got all kinds of squiggles going everywhere. But then there's the mention here that Paul kind of in- intentionally made it a point to sail past Ephesus even though i'm going to suggest he probably really would have liked to have went there in person yeah, but decent. i think he just kind of knew he probably knew himself well enough and he probably knew the brethren there well enough to know if i stop and start spending time with them i'm going to end up staying way longer than i need to or they're going to keep me way longer than i need to I, this is like Sometimes at church, I'll see a certain brother or sister in the foyer, and I just be like, "Oh man!" I Try to avoid brother so and so because if I get talking to him, I'm not going to get a chance to talk to anybody else, or I'm going to get out of here, you know, a quarter past midnight if get locked down with him. And so, I'm going to just kind of strategically try to, uh, you know, avoid or be very very brief with him. I just think that's what's going on here with with Paul. You know, the time that he was in Ephesus, those two and a half three years or so that he was with them, um, I think was probably a a very successful period of time. And he had great love and care and compassion for them. That's going to be very evident in this last section here. Um, So he would have wanted to be there, but he realizes he's got places to go. He's being compelled and constrained to get to Jerusalem and the time. The clock is ticking, and so um, he's going to make other arrangements.
1: Yeah, and he wants to get there for the you know, day of the Pentecost at least, um, and so you know this is the thing too. I, I want to mention here a, a little bit. Paul's travel plans weren't necessarily uh, inspired all the time. Mm-hmm. You know, sometimes you you do have you can't go to Asia, you right. need to go to Macedonia. You know that, but but sometimes it's you no know, he intends to do something, but his plans change, and so. Uh, I think sometimes there are times where we read in the Bible, Paul says one thing but ends up doing something else. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's not because Paul's being wishy washy or, you know, in second Corinthians he has to defend that some. Yeah. Um but he's you know, he's he, he makes plans and he and this I think helps show us too that he not always he didn't have uh, you know, God directly telling him exactly what to do every minute of the day. Right. Um, there was some uh, judgment calls that he made. Yep. And, and trying to figure out what works best. And so that—that's. I think that's what we're seeing here. Yeah. And there's. And,
0: and he. And you're, you're right. What you said in the beginning, especially, is that yes, there were occasions where you know you had the direct, you know, spirit involvement in. Nope, you're not going over there. And then we start going. Nope, you're not going over there either. That did happen. But there are lots of other times where paul's having to make some decisions himself and the fact of the matter is for us today um yes we can have our decision making be informed by the spirit that is through the word uh and 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 in a sense through the you know advice of of other people and so forth but at the end of the day we will have to make decisions and I, i say all that because you just sometimes hear folks talk about you know being led by the spirit yeah. And, and, and what they mean when they say that is, they mean you know, the Spirit is like literally guiding every minutia of my life, every little decision, whether or not I'm going to lift up this bottle right now or set it back down, and uh, that there's this yellow brick road that's just God's got it, you know, laid out for us. We've just got to seek the Spirit to find that yellow brick road, and that's just not. That's just not the way life is. Uh, life is probably, more often than not, it's like this with Paul where uh, we're having to make some changes on the fly and circumstances come up, pandemics happen that we <laughs> totally didn't expect, yeah. and uh, we're having to, uh, to to do some rearranging.
1: Yeah, that's, um, we, th- I think what the passage in James 4 talks about, you know, we need to say, if the Lord wills, I'll do this or that. Um, sometimes we, we, we make plans and it's not wrong to make plans no that's you know that's something that, that we need to do you know need to be responsible
0: there's lots of planning going on in the Bible God yeah. made plans yeah yeah
1: um, but you know we have to be flexible and we have to realize that uh, it's it's all uh, on a, a time scale of you know if the Lord allows it yep um, and a- again what you were saying, I think more in the Bible we see we serve God no matter where we are it's not so much that we find the exact you know spot in our life that God wants us to be like he wants me to move to Somerset or he wants me to take this job over that job or move to this area instead of that area Um, I think a lot of those there is no right or wrong decision there's just am I going to serve the Lord wherever Mm -hmm. I am yes um, you know, I heard a preacher one time, it's been a while ago, but he said, you know, wherever God plants you, bloom. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not, okay, I need to... You should put that on like a card or a t-shirt. Yeah, that would make a good both both of those. <laughs> but that's, that's what it is. It's true. It is true. It it is true. Is. Yeah, yeah. Yeah,
0: wherever we are, wherever life takes us, and uh, you know, and, and the truth is when we get to heaven, we may find out that, yeah, maybe God's... A hand was in it maybe yeah. the, it, his providence was working and we weren't even really even aware of it at all but um i would i would certainly we, we, we just want to be careful with this you know over stating of um you know the leading of, of of the spirit and so forth and and making that mean something that you know when, when the bible does talk about being led by the spirit and oftentimes it's it's a very that's very different than the way many people mean that today,
1: right, yeah, not to say that we you know we can totally fail at a job interview and not get a certain job, mm-hmm. and you know maybe that was God intervening we we don't know right, but uh, we we can't say like I think what you said was great. We can't just uh, automatically assume he's going to dictate every single aspect of my life,
0: right. Well, so he's not going to, to actually stop at, at Ephesus, but he does have uh, a desire to have some communication with the church there, and specifically, he's going to have that communication via the elders of that church. And we've, we've noted before um, kind of the, the swiftness with which you know elders seem to be appointed in, in some of these local churches. You know, if... You know, if, if the timetable is correct, and if Paul just established that church you know, two to three years prior to this, I mean, it's, it's pretty quick that we've got elders here in the church. And we've made the point before that if you had some Jewish brethren who had already been you know, developing themselves, living godly lives, uh, you know, raising their families properly, and, and all those sorts of things, you maybe just already had a lot of, a, a lot of good men, who just once you get them the information that they need concerning the gospel of Christ and, and they become believers and they become Christians, then it's really just a matter of you know just a matter of time before you've got you know, you've got guys that are absolutely ready uh, to start serving in that capacity. And that's probably who who most of these elders are, if not all of them. To be honest with you. Um, not to say there couldn't have been some good Gentile. men. I mean, Cornelius probably would have made a good elder. Oh, yeah. You know, can you yeah. think of it? Um, So verse 17, we have here, we're told that from Miletus, Paul sent to Ephesus and he called the elders of the church to come to him. And when they came to him, he said to them, let's just stop right there. Um, The distance from Miletus to Ephesus is about 15 miles. And so what this means is, is, this means, it says that Paul had to send, so he sent messengers to go to Ephesus. That's probably talking about a day's travel and then about another day to come back. So at least 2 days, I'm going to guess, maybe even 3 days, Paul is willing to wait. And and that says something to me about how important this was because I mean again, Paul's in a hurry to go. Yeah. But for this occasion, I'm going to wait 2 or 3 days because it's so important I need to talk to these guys. What we're going to find for, for kind of the final time, or at least what he thinks is going to be uh, the final time. That just says something that kind of gives some extra weight, I think, then to, to, to all the stuff then that Paul says uh, in verses 18 down through pretty much the end of the chapter. Um, so, what does he say to these elders of, of this church? Verse 18 You yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time, from the first day that I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews, how I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house, testifying both to Jews and to Greeks of repentance toward God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's just talk about those um, two or three verses there. Um, Paul here just kind of is speaking of his own work and what he had done while he was among them. Uh, and I don't think that necessarily Paul is, is like trying to defend himself here. You know, hey, I, I just want to make sure, you know, I've, I've got clean hands and, and I'm good to go. No, I think he's just kind of wanting to uh, kind of build up to let them know just how much uh, care and concern that he's had for these people. You know, I, I want you to be reminded of all of the labor that I've done amongst you, uh, and look at the different kinds of things that he talks about. Um, I always gravitate toward that statement at the end of verse twenty. Uh, there was teaching in public, and there was also teaching from house to house. So we've got, you know, what we might consider kind of a, our, our, our public worship assembly, so to speak. Mm-hmm. But then there's also Bible studies in people's houses going on. And that's important for us to understand. There needs to be more teaching uh, going on than just what happens in the church building on Sunday. There needs to be that kind of teaching going on uh, regularly um, throughout the week in different venues and in different places where uh, other people can be involved in that. There's the mention in verse 21 about... How he didn't just do this teaching for like one specific category of people. No, Jews, Greeks, everybody. I was trying to make sure that everybody uh, was taught the gospel. I wasn't trying to just pigeonhole it for you know you know just certain groups of people. The people that I deem worthy of it. No, everybody I want them to know about repentance and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. Um, and then of course, verse nineteen, where he talks about the manner in which he does that with with humility, and Truthfully, um, this is good for us to be reminded of this because again we talk about how bold Paul is. We read about, you know, just his courage and so forth, and humility probably doesn't immediately come to our mind. But he was a humble person. And and I'm glad he you know you know, he often people often joke that like, you know, if someone says that they're humble, well they're not actually humble because they shouldn't have to actually say it. But but I think Paul's he he is just speaking the truth here. But he did that with yeah. humility. You know the mention there of doing this with tears—that you know there's an emotional aspect of of the work that he did with those brethren. I, I can certainly speak to to that just as a preacher. There there are tears that go along with the work of an evangelist, uh, and then the, the the trials and the difficulties. Um, I just kept on. I just kept on trucking because I wanted you all to be uh, equipped and prepared and have everything that you need uh, so that you could serve God uh, acceptably. What do you want to say here about those verses?
1: Sometimes I think we think that humility and boldness don't go together. Mm-hmm. But you know, Paul, like he said, he's a good example of that. You know, he had this, this mentality of wanting to reach everybody. You think of what he said in 1 Corinthians 9, I became all things to all men mm-hmm. so that I might save some. Uh, and that's what he was trying to do. Um, and he connects that in verse 20, how I did not shrink from declaring to you what was profitable. Um, you know, it it does take humility. <laughs> this sounds weird, but it does take humility to be bold, to step out and say the right things um, that the people need to hear. Um, because he's, he's humble enough to realize it's not about him. It's about the Lord. Um, and I think that's where our humility comes from. You know, humility isn't something where we just you know put ourselves down and we talk about how bad we are um you know humility is realizing that it's not about me it's about the lord and we care more about what the lord wants than Mm -hmm. what we want Mm -hmm. you know if it was all about us if it was all about paul he wouldn't have put himself through that um but it wasn't It, it was about what the lord wanted um why why did he mention he did not shrink back from declaring that because there was probably a tendency to want to shrink back and I think that's something that we have to fight, too, mm-hmm. um, because I, I think for whatever reason, um, whether it's we're afraid of taking a stand for the truth or we get too involved with other things that we don't have time to do it, um, you know, so maybe a, a good mark of this is, okay, how much can we say about that? the last part of that verse from house to house? How much do we do? You know, uh, not saying we have to be involved in outside Bible studies 24-7 and that if you don't have a study scheduled every single day of every week, you are sinning. Mm-hmm. But no, we do need to emphasize that more um, and with humility, realizing it, it's about what the Lord wants. It's not about, well, if I tell somebody I have 12 studies going on this month, then they'll be impressed. It's not about that. Mm-hmm. No, it's about uh, doing this for the glory of God. Uh,
0: reading these verses and then especially as we... Progress on and get to the to the end of the chapter, and we see kind of the emotional, um, you know, parting here. Uh, I kind of wonder if maybe Paul is is I don't want to say depressed, but uh, but he's he's got a lot on his mind and on his heart, and it may even explain why he, you know wanted to do that walking by himself for for that one little leg of the trip. I mean, just think, you know, he's aware of the problems that were going on in the church at Corinth. There was problems in those churches in Galatia that we noted, you know, a few chapters back, chapter around chapter fifteen or so. Mm-hmm. Um, there is the the future troubles that he has already been told and he knows awaits him when he gets to Jerusalem. Um, there is just kind of the the, the burden of you know all this money that's been entrusted to him and making sure that that's all being took care of and safeguarded along the way. Um, you know, there's been these death threats against him, the plots of the Jews that are mentioned there in verse uh, 19. And then just, just the natural physical wear and tear of, of traveling, you know. He, he's not. We read those previous verses, verses 13 through 16, and like we're not staying in any one spot for any duration of time. It's just go, 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 go. And so you put all of that together that is going to put some wear and tear on the mind and on just you know, physical energy. And so I, 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 and this may be me just kind of you know, saying that all out of the blue, and maybe it's not supposed to be in there, but it's hard for me not to read these passages here and think about that, that, those things are probably heavy on Paul's mind and heart. And, and that's why this is going to be such an emotional scene and why he wants so badly. To just kind of pour his heart out to these these good brothers before he moves on.
1: Yeah, I think you. I think you're spot on. I mean, Second Corinthians 11, when he mentions all the stuff that he went through. Yep. The thing he says that was the hardest was the concern for the churches. Yep. And what was going on with the people, and and so that's a major consideration here. Um, just the weight that that has on him, um, and how much he cares. Yeah. I mean, it, it, it's. Completely obvious that he cares deeply,
0: and that's and that is why he summoned these elders because his concern is for them to be able to uh, lead those Christians in that congregation um, well. And w- what then follows here for the for the remainder of this little discourse um, is is Paul giving probably some of the most thorough um, information about. Local church leadership yeah. and, and what that is to involve, not just the, the, the work of those who are doing the leading, but then also even it really kind of speaks in, in, a, in a roundabout way to the job that the sheep have and how they then respond to, uh, to that leadership. So verse 22, Paul says, And now behold, I am going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, Except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. Man, that, that verse twenty three, you know, just kind of just reinforces what I guess I just got done saying a minute ago, that he was reminded and told by the Holy Spirit every stop along the way. Hey, Paul, when you get to Jerusalem, it's going to be bad, <laughs> you yeah. know. And and the truth is, you know, Jesus made that clear from the very beginning. You know that. Um, you know, I'm going to show him the many things that he must suffer mm-hmm. for my name. Uh, and Paul understood that. And this is not, I guess we want to be careful here, this is not you know, karma. Well, Paul did all those bad things before he was a Christian and now he's just getting what's coming back to him. No, this is Paul coming to understand what he prayed for and what he wanted. And that is he wanted to know fully the sufferings of Christ. Yeah. As much as he could. Think about the Philippian letter, Philippians chapter three, That's what he talks about. I, I want to know that and experience that in my own body, the sufferings of Christ, so that I can become more like him. And the Holy Spirit's reminding him as they're working along in these journeys, Yeah, you're gonna you're gonna get that opportunity. <laughs> it's gonna happen. I don't know, just think about that weighing on your mind every day.
1: That that's tough. It's I, heavy. No, you think what if okay. What if you knew that there was something that you could do to help the gospel, but Somehow the spirit told you personally, oh, when you do that, you're going to have opposition and you're going to be put in jail and it's going to be terrible. Like in, okay, I don't want to do that anymore. That's it. I mean, yeah. there's there's no way that we were like okay, yeah, that's that's it. Um, no, still yet, Paul, even though he knew for a fact that's what was going to happen. Um, we're we're so concerned about physical comfort and and well being and safety, and I get that. I, I mean, we don't want to throw ourselves into a situation just, right. you know, just being ridiculous. But um, we need to care more about the progress and spread of the gospel than we do about, uh, you know, comfort yeah. um, and things like that. You, you think about people who are, uh, you know, move to foreign countries to spread the gospel or go on trips or, or whatever. Um, what happens is a lot of times family members and, and well-meaning friends, you know, Christian brothers and sisters, be like, oh, you know, it's pretty dangerous over there, or I, I don't know if you want to stay very long in that area, you know, wh- why don't you just stick around here? Um, no, if there's work to do, and it's dangerous, well, do the work, and, you know, the Lord will provide. Mm-hmm. Even if we die, you know, the Lord still provides. Yep. Um, and so I, I just, I love the attitude of Paul here, that even then he was willing to go.
0: Personal comfort and convenience and health and safety like you said there's a place for it but it it can be made into an idol Mm -hmm. and 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 Paul certainly was not going to allow that to be the case Um, there's more important things than than how I feel or what's most uh, comfortable to me Um, the afflictions that await me there's just certainty in that in that language there Verse 24, and actually here's how he follows it up. He says, e- even in light of the stuff that is told, that is that is to me, verse 24, but I do not account my life of any value nor as precious to myself if only I may finish my course in the ministry that I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And you can just kind of hear it in his voice that if, if, if I don't do this, th- th- then what is even the point of me living? Yeah. You know, uh, the 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 value that I have and the value that I am is is because of Christ, and and that's true even for us still to this day. You know, what makes us valuable is that Christ is in us and that I am in Christ. Um, I've, you've maybe seen it before. There's it a video on on YouTube of a uh, some I don't even know the guy's name some famous denominational preacher. He's in like a big arena. And, but it's a great illustration. He uses an illustration of a pizza box, and he has a pizza box, and he's showing a pizza box. And he says, you know, this pizza box is worth like you know 15 cents. It's just not worth all that much. If I offered you this pizza box by itself, you would just kind of be like, whatever, I don't really need a pizza box. But he says the value comes, though, when you place that pizza inside the box. Now, all of a sudden, it's worth a whole lot more than 15 cents. It's worth you know, 10 or 15 bucks for how much a piece of costs. And, so, and I think that's the idea with, with us as Christians. What, what gives us value and, and gives our life meaning is when Jesus Christ is in us and we are being compelled by Him in the things that we do, uh, that's where our worth and our value comes from, ultimately.
1: We realize our life is not our own. Yeah. Um, if we hold too tightly onto our life, we will lose it. Uh, and well, okay, no matter what, our life isn't our own because eventually that's right. we're going to lose it anyway. Yep. Um, and so, you know, why not be involved with something that's actually going to last and be worthwhile? You know, we give our lives to Jesus; we're not throwing it away. Um, he is taking care of us. And yeah. He Provides.
0: We're surrendering it to the to literally the greatest good that it could ever uh, accomplish. Um, so, verse twenty-five. So now, behold, I know that none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom of God will see my face again. I'm not sure in verse 25 whether that's Paul speaking by inspiration, that maybe the Spirit's made known to him you know, 100% certain you're not going to see these people again. Or maybe this is just Paul just kind of you know, drawing some conclusions based upon you know, the information he's got. He knows tough stuff awaits him in Jerusalem. Uh, when he gets to Rome, tough stuff's awaiting him there, and maybe he just is, you know, kind of just came to the realization that that's probably going to be it for me. Uh, so I want to get as much out of me between now and then. So uh, not entirely sure, but he's he's kind of talking to these guys as if this is the last time he's going to talk to them. And the fact is, we actually don't have any other record in the Scripture that he makes it back to Ephesus uh, or that he does have another encounter with these guys. So maybe that that was uh, the case.
1: There's some questions about what he wrote into Timothy, you know whether or not uh, this that was before, or after yeah. Um, and so it, that's definitely unclear. But uh, I, it, he was if you think it's going to be the last time that you see somebody, you're going to lay it all out there Mm -hmm. Um, and you're you're going to do that. I could see that, you know, he's going to Jerusalem. All that he knows is, like you said, it's going to be awful. Yep. So uh, I I might not be too hopeful that I want to be back here.
0: Well, so he says, verse uh, 26, Therefore I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Now, Verse 28 is where he's going to kind of properly begin uh, the exhortation to, to these men who are, who are elders and what their job is about. Mm-hmm. But the end of verse 27, um, right there in a nice little capsule, you know, single little verse, really kind of encapsulates pretty much what the work of a preacher is. You're going to devote right. your life to uh, being involved in, in the, the preaching of God's word. You need to be about the business of declaring the whole counsel of God, and um, that that doesn't happen quickly, you know. So I've been preaching for the congregation that I'm with for almost seven years. Um, I'm pretty sure I haven't preached the whole counsel of God yet. <laughs> I'm working on it. Yeah. You know, I kind of I've I've always viewed you know my my preaching work and things that I do in preaching and in teaching and in all the other different channels and means in which you know uh, put teaching material out there. I do view my own work as kind of, here's this library of, 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 of you know, biblical information and counsel that needs to be presented, and from time to time you end up, you have to kind of double back and, and talk about foundational things again, you know, I can't preach on baptism on day one and then just never say anything about that again because, oh, okay, I've already checked that off the box and, <laughs> and so now we need to move on to the next subject. Um, but there needs to be kind of kind of a a, a wide eyed view of like, look, the Bible's a big book, and and I want to see to it that as best as I can, I'm able to present that whole counsel of God to to people. I want people to be able to understand how the whole Bible all does work together, as we've talked about a couple times uh, already, and so. Uh, the last thing that you want to do is to just kind of become somebody that just becomes. And I know preachers like this that are like just kind of so fixated on like this one thing, this one subject, and like you know, they, they, they there's a kind of a derogatory term for them, hobby riders, where they just, you know, they that's their thing, and they just ride that thing all the time. Uh, we got to do better than that, preachers. We need to be about the business of the whole counsel of God so that we can help make disciples whole and complete. That's the idea of completeness, uh, and that's the purpose of preaching the whole counsel of God.
1: Yeah, very much so. Um, I I think, looking at verse 26, this is one of the most frightening verses in the entire Bible for me. (laughs) Yeah. Because it's like, okay... Paul says he's innocent of the blood of all men. What makes him innocent? You know, how do you become personally innocent of the blood of all men?
0: By doing verse 27. That's it. Yeah.
1: And so, well, how do we do that? Well, we have to be bold. We have to get up and we have to speak. We have to say things. We have to show people the way. Um, you know, I, I, I see some connections here between what Paul says and what God told Ezekiel in like Ezekiel 3 when he said I've made you a watchman yes um, of the children of Israel and you know you think about like what a watchman's duty was back like way back then in that time you know you'd have people somebody who would have to set up and watch you mm-hmm. know on the, on the city gates and they would look out and if they saw an enemy army approaching even if it was the middle of the night they had to let the people know let the townspeople and blow the horn the
0: shout yep
1: and now do you think that in the middle of the night do you think people are want wanted want to be woke up and no you're not going to want that right but if there's like danger coming in the long run okay it's better that i was told um now if the if you as a watchman saw the army coming and you didn't say anything that would make you the one responsible but if you, as a watchman, hey, was like, hey, everybody up, there's danger. And people just were like, I'll, I'll worry about it in the morning and, and stay asleep. If mm-hmm. they die, that's on them. You know, mm-hmm. you did your job. So the same thing w- with us, with the gospel. We have this duty. We have the responsibility. Um, I think all of us do. Of We have, we've been entrusted with this this great gift. Um, and we are able to share that with the people around us, with family members with friends whoever we're in contact with and if we fail in that then there's a sense in which their blood is on our hands Mm -hmm. you
0: know you you said you know the gospel is entrusted to us and that's absolutely true there's a sense in which the people that are around uh, us the people that I have influence on there's a sense in which those people's souls have been entrusted to me certainly if you're a parent you you better get that, yeah. but but even beyond that, the people that I'm in contact with daily and I have relationship with, God has placed those people in our lives and in our care like a steward, uh, or I'm to be a steward, and and I, I then need to be making sure that I'm sounding the alarm, I'm blowing the horn. I'm glad you brought up the watchman analogy because I, I was uh, going to say that there's this is watchman sort of language that Paul's using here in in 25 or excuse me 26 and 27. Um, he then says in verse 28 now to these uh, to these elders, "...pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God which He obtained with His own blood." Now, it's kind of a jam-packed um, <laughs> verse there as we think about the work of elders. Maybe the first thing that I'd want to say about this is that right here in this one little uh, text, we actually have... All three of the biblical terms that are used for 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 what we just call elders um, back there in verse um, was it verse verse seventeen is when he first uses or Luke uses he called the elders of the church to come to him and um, that, that's probably the most common term that we use certainly could denote an, an older man it was well, it would denote uh, someone who is older it's not going to be some you know. 20-year-old kid riding a bicycle with a white shirt and a black tie as sometimes those <laughs> youths drive around pretending to be elders are. Um, then secondly, we have this word that's used in verse 28, um, overseers. The Holy Spirit has made you overseers. And then there is the ESV uses the term to care for the church of God. What's the New American Standard you use?
1: Shepherd.
0: To shepherd. Uh, The flock of God. And that's the word, um, that's the correct usage of the word pastor or shepherd. And uh, we're pointing that out is because, you know, sometimes those terms get used like they're they're separate, like they're talking about separate roles. The most common of those would be pastor, how that word has been uh, misused in the religious world today. Uh, Usually if you say pastor, what are you talking about? preacher yeah you're just talking about the guy who's the preacher you know at, at a local congregation um, but that's not the way that that term is used in the Bible when you see the word shepherd or in some translations I think do use the word pastor um, it's talking about an overseer it's talking about an elder it's talking about a guy who meets the qualifications that are discussed in in, in greater detail in uh, Titus chapter 1 and first Timothy chapter 2 3 I forget. I think it's chapter three. three. Um, th- those are all one and the same, uh, and, and really all three of those words kind of describe different facets of uh, of that man. Um, the you know the overseer word is the word I think it's the word episcopos. Um, which denotes some idea of, of management or superintendent, and that speaks to the idea maybe of you know kind of the kind of the decision making component of an elder's work. I do think that far too often when we think about elders in a church, that's just what we think that they do. You know, they make right. decisions about, you know the color of the carpet or the <laughs> the budget or the maintenance of the building and while yes there is some of that that that's part of it that that's not the main thrust and actually when we finish reading these verses here i think we're going to come away realizing it's a whole lot more about that pastoring that shepherding thing that that's the thing that paul is really wanting to emphasize uh here um What do you want to say about the the terms?
1: Well, I mean, just, there's a couple of other built-in terms in here. The overseer is another word for that is bishop.
0: Bishop, yep, that's the King James word.
1: Yes, yeah, exactly. And so we can't look at these words as in, okay, so we have our elders here, we have our bishops, way up here, and then we have, you know, just an overseer here, uh, we have... Can I just
0: throw, I'm going to throw it in because I like throwing this stuff in. Do it. I think bishop is a poor translation of that word. Yeah. I, I do think there was some translational bias on the part of the, uh, the the King James translators with that word. It's really kind of out of left field. Uh, it's That's not descriptive true. the way the word overseer is, but anyway, keep going.
1: I, I usually take shots at KJV as much as I can, but <laughs> thank you for doing that. Um, but yeah, there, there are so many different words for it, and I think the simplistic view is that, okay, one word means one job, and this, pers- this person here has this job, this one has this one, but I think it does. Why do we have so many words to describe the same thing? Because it, it helps paint a more
0: complete, full, full yeah.
1: picture. Um, you, Why do we have synonyms? You know, There, there are, are lots of things we could talk about with that.
0: I preached this past Sunday uh, evening on the names of God and I only discussed six of those and somebody counted in the Bible there's like 72 different names of God. <laughs> well, why are there 72 different descriptions or titles for God? Well, because they all give us different uh, you know, insight to His character and His nature and that, I think it's no different here with, with talking about elders slash shepherds slash overseers. <laughs>
1: Yeah, Jesus was the light, but He was also the way. He that's was also right. The life. And I, I mean, He was the great shepherd. He was. That's right. So many things, and you know, that's it. When when we think about uh, this this task that God has given these these men, this group of people, um, it's it's important to know that there's more than one thing that they're concerned with. Um, you know, you see a lot about how much they need to be involved with the teaching and, and uh, you know, uh, of the doctrine of, of the group. Um, I think that's that's hinted at here. Yeah. Uh, well, maybe not so much hinted at, but uh, he tells them. But the, it all goes back to you were entrusted with this because of what Jesus did. The church was purchased with his own blood, and he has made you overseers. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not something that you know these men are doing for their own glory their own credit it's all about doing what the Lord wants with the Lord's people um, in a way that helps them and so as as members of a local group um, if if you are a part of a group that has elders overseers um, it's important that we respect them you know that's that's something if, if they make a decision they, they're entrusted with this, this job, this monumental task of watching over the church that Jesus bought with his own blood. So as members of that group, well let's let's respect what they say and if, if they have decided something, uh, whether I agree with it or not, you know we, we need to listen to that yeah um,
0: let me let me do something that I, we I don't like to do, but I, can I jump ahead and, and, and I want to point something out, and then we're gonna we're gonna come back to where we, you know, here in verse twenty eight, and then work our way through. I'll allow it. Okay, thank you. Um, Paul concludes this section of talking with these guys in verse thirty five by quoting Jesus and. Um, my Bible's all in black letters, but normally this would be in the, in the red letters. He says, Remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how He Himself said, It is more blessed to give than to receive. Now, I've heard that verse you know, referenced a lot. I've heard that verse referenced like, Whenever it's time to take up the collection at church. And you know, to remember what the Lord said it's more blessed to give than to receive. Or I've heard that verse used to just kind of talk about, you know, just being charitable in general. And it's true, it's a, it's a general principle that, that works in a lot of different ways. But maybe what's never really been talked about is the context in which that was said. Um, Paul says this to these elders of this church, and he reminds them it's more blessed to give than to receive. That says to me that the work of an elder involves a willingness to give. Mm -hmm. And and I think that is just then, you know, kind of littered all throughout this passage of the things that elders are giving to the flock. They are giving help to the sheep. They are giving instruction to the sheep, teaching. They are giving protection to the sheep keep them from you know, the wolves and those who would uh, ravage the flock of God. An elder's whole M.O. is about giving. And if they do receive something in return, whether that's um, you know thanks or encouragement, certainly respect needs to be part of that. Um, at the end of the day, to them it doesn't matter because they realize that the real blessing comes by giving themselves, they've given themselves to the Lord to, you know, take on this monumental task, and now we're then going to give of ourselves, give of our lives to these sheep, the same way that Jesus gave Himself for the sheep. That's what the Good Shepherd did. He laid down His life for the sheep. Uh, I just I wanted to point that out because I don't think that ever get said about this quotation of it's more blessed to give than to receive we'll talk when we get down to that officially about um you know where that comes from um but it is interesting that paul is saying that to elders of the church and that maybe is just kind of the i don't qualification or the quality in, in in a shepherd that maybe we don't talk about enough you know we jump to the titus and the timothy passage and we start listing off all of those things that an elder needs to 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 be and possess in their character but maybe right here is where we need to start he needs to be somebody who has a, a giving spirit about him and he's willing to give in 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 all the different ways that paul describes in in these verses that we'll look at
1: yeah and that's it i mean that we use jesus as our example right and what was jesus given well, uh, you know, just taught through John, and there's so many things there that talk about how God, the Father, has given him, um, you know, the words to say. He's given him the prominent role. He's given him the authority, and all that Jesus does with that is instead of just saying, "Okay, look at look at all that the Father's given me," he immediately turns around and gives that to others. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you see, if that he is the great shepherd, what should you know, the, the shepherds that are here do, they should imitate him. Yep. And everything that has been given to them, they freely give. You know, we we receive not so that we can have, but so that we can pass on. Um, and that's so true in... in a lot of different aspects.
0: Yeah, 1 Peter 5 verse 4 talks describes Jesus as the chief shepherd and so then that really kind of makes then, you know, elders in a local church they're kind of the deputy shepherds if you will, <laughs> yeah. you know, acting on behalf of the chief shepherd. Um, let's pull out a couple of things specifically about verse 28 before we keep moving on. The first thing Paul says actually before he even says here's the things that you need to do for the church, the first thing he says is pay careful attention to yourselves. That's a good point. You know, you guys need to to, to make sure that your own spiritual house is in order. Make sure that your soul is where it needs to be. And, you know, certainly don't be so consumed with caring for the. Flock, and for others that you end up neglecting your, yourself, and uh, and that can happen. Uh, th- that can happen to preachers as well. Preachers can yeah. become so, you know, tunnel vision about you know teaching and evangelizing the whole world that their family ends up going to hell. You know, because yeah. they didn't take care of uh, of them, or maybe they didn't take care of their own selves, and they end up going to hell. Um, don't want that. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock. And emphasis there on all the flock. That would include even the sheep in the flock that are weak and sickly looking and even the kind of rebellious sheep that are always, you know, trying to jump the fence or, um, you know, the ones that you're always having to put the shepherd's hook around and yank them back in. Uh, All of them, even the really annoying ones, you take care of all of them. Um, Then the emphasis there on that the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, you know. So now as we talk, and I even used the language already in this uh, recording about you know that the church appoints elders, and that's true, but the fact of the matter is, who makes an elder an elder? The Lord does. The Holy Spirit has made you. If a man is an overseer in the Lord's church, it's because the Holy Spirit has made that person. He has met those Holy Spirit-given criteria to care for, to feed, to shepherd the church of God, and the emphasis there on that it belongs to the Lord, because he obtained it with his own blood. That cannot be just stated enough. That is why the flock and the church uh, deserves the kind of attention that is called for in these passages is because it belongs to God and it came with a high price. It came with the blood of Christ. I'm kind of emphasizing here uh, we need to be careful about um, saying things about the Church of Christ, or even even here's the scriptural designation, the Church of God. Uh, we need to be careful about that um, because God values <laughs> His Church, and 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 I know there are certain people that just kind of are very flippant to talk about the you know C O C Church of Christ, whatever that means to them. Um, but we especially just need to be careful about how we talk about that and how we think about the Church of Christ. Um uh, because this passage makes clear it, it came at the expense of Jesus' perfect and precious blood. I don't want to talk about that in a flippant kind of way uh I want to think about that with the kind of um you know uh, gravity that it deserves uh it's it's Jesus's, and um he died for it
1: yeah, and that that cannot be overstated i mean you see so much in this uh, about how um, it, it's never about us. You know, it, it really isn't. There, there's nothing about serving the Lord mm-hmm. that ever glorifies ourselves. Um, and the, the sooner we realize that, the, the better off we're gonna be. Um, so, you know, in, in a sense, you, you think about, talked about the qualifications of elders before, um, what do those qualifications look like? Well, kind of what Jesus expects everybody to be like. Um, and so what we're looking for in our leaders to be people that Jesus has already said that we all need to be like. Yeah. So that way we can look at them as an example, um, as someone, okay, how do I react in this situation? Well, how did they react? Um, and hopefully we have people who are uh, doing, like the first part of that verse, they're being on guard for their, themselves. Um, you know, there's there's some people that I think take the approach to preaching as, you know, I, I can tell you the right thing to do. I might not be able to do it myself, but at least I can tell you.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, you know, That's not it. No, we have to do it. You know, when when I started preaching, I, I asked for some advice from different people, you know, what, what sort of things should I look for, look out for, uh, how can I be more effective as a preacher? That was like the big thing for me. I, I was always just thinking, okay, efficiency, what can I do? Uh, and the best advice I, I received is like, uh, you know, live, live a life like Christ. Yeah. You know, just uh, obey the Lord. And, you know, it's, it's that, that's it. The, the more experience you have in, in listening and obeying and doing what the Lord says, the better we're going to be equipped to help others. I think that you know sometimes i'm crossing a lot of territory here with with this but um, if we are focused on serving the lord first and foremost then we're going to be better equipped to help others as well Um, and and we're going to know how to help people more because we are are more used to obeying the lord's commands yeah Um, instead of giving theoretical advice of how you know how how to help someone through this situation. If I haven't actually lived it, if if I'm trying to help someone uh, who is addicted to you know certain substances or or whatever, uh, if if I have never dealt with any kind of addiction in my life, it might be hard to like tell. Okay, here here's how I got through it. Yeah. Well, okay, <laughs> I never did that. Uh, but you know, what can I do to to help inspire others? Uh, and it's all about because of what Jesus did.
0: Yeah. Well, and that is, and so that is why you know, these men are going to then devote themselves to the same cause that uh, Jesus was willing to you know, shed his blood for. And I don't think Paul's saying that the elders need to be ready to shed their own blood, but they do have that kind of care and concern for, uh, for, for the sheep. Um, and that then trickles over into the next verse, verse 29. He says, because I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you not sparing the flock. Then, verse thirty, and from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. So Paul says, "Look, you're gonna to have to be looking in a, more than one direction. You're gonna to have to look at outside. You have to pay attention to the inside. Those wolves can come from from either direction. And you know the mention there in verse twenty nine of, of fierce wolves that come in among and don't spare the flock. Yeah, you know, I think that just speaks of like you know opportunists who just you know they they don't care you know they're not interested in uh, preserving and 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 taking care of, of 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 souls. No, these are people who are just looking to cause trouble and take advantage of people. The very kinds of people that Jesus warned about in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter seven, uh, about uh, false teachers and uh, people who prey on those who are uh, weak and you know, manipulate and do the things that they do. And then he says, you gotta be watchful on the inside too. Sometimes people. You know, just change and evolve over time. Sometimes people start to get too big for their own britches. They see, you know, the flock as being, you know, something that they can exploit or they can, there's some gain to be had from, um, you know, accruing, you know, followers to, to themselves. And you got to be looking in, in all those directions. And a good shepherd, and, and I say all this. Having zero knowledge of like real life shepherding of, of real life sheep, yeah. um, but I've read about it, and and that is what's required. You know, sheep, generally speaking, are dumb. Yeah. They are. I mean, you read. I've read all kinds of stories about you know the dumb things that sheep have done. Like I, I read some stories about some uh, some shepherds up in uh, North and South Dakota who, uh, you know, the sheep are so dumb that like in the winter. They will stand outside and freeze to death, even when the barn is right there, like feet away from them, and and it's because sheep need to be led. Uh, they need yeah. to be shepherded into the safety of the barn, and and so um, sheep oftentimes aren't aren't looking. You know, and they're not paying attention. Uh, they let their guards get dropped down. And this certainly is not... I don't, I don't think Paul's suggesting here that if you're just a member in a church that you can just drop all of your defenses and just totally rely upon the, the elders to just be looking out for you all the time. No, we've got some personal responsibility, but elders have a special charge to be watching out for uh, the spiritual well-being of, 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 of the flock.
1: Yeah, and I think he uses this metaphor to paint a picture for them so they can understand a little bit more. They
0: probably understood the sheep thing way better than we did. Oh,
1: I'm sure. Yeah, yeah no doubt. Um, but you know, you you think about being a shepherd. Do you think that sometimes as a shepherd, you might have to do things that cause the sheep to be unhappy with, you know, but I wanted to go that way. Why don't you let me go that way? You know, what's wrong? I don't even see anything wrong over there. Why are you doing that? Why are you pulling me this way? Yeah. Um, And and sometimes, you know, we worry too much about making people happy than we do in uh, making them holy. Um, because yeah. that—that's the goal, really. You know, God wants. Some people use the argument of whether or not to do something based on, well, God wants me to be happy. Well, no, He wants you to serve Him. You know, and if—and He wants us to find joy in that, for sure. Um, but His His number one goal as the Lord in heaven is not to make sure that I am completely satisfied 100% of the time. Right. Um, you know, it's—it's it's all about. We, we we give ourselves to serve him, um, and so sometimes as a shepherd, they have to make decisions that are going to be uncomfortable and that, that are going to be unpopular.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, we're going to have to take stands, um, and and so uh, we have just... to have
0: conversations with people that you know good and well they don't want to have to have, yeah. but somebody, we have to have that. If we yeah. if I don't say something to this guy, it, 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 they're going to be lost. I mean, they're going to they're, the sheep is going to walk off the cliff. Or they're going to walk straight into the mouth of a, of a wolf or a lion or, or a bear or, or, or what have you. Um, oh my. Yeah. <laughs> or a tiger. Let's throw it in there. <laughs> there you go. Um, but yeah, the, 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 the true shepherd um, is not, you know, he, he's the exact opposite of what's described there in verse 30. You know, the mention there of the people who would arise among you who's going to draw away disciples after him. No, nope. the one who's the real shepherd uh, that's not what they're looking to do. They instead are, um, you know, they're not. Well, actually, I, I pulled up First Peter. First Peter, chapter five. Peter talks about that in the first few verses there, where he says, um, "You're going to exercise oversight not for shameful gain, but instead you're going to do that eagerly, uh, trying to be an example uh, to the flock." Uh, but they've got to have, you know, kind of. This is probably also part of the reason why it's I always talked about elders in the plural sense. You know, Just one guy, you can imagine just one guy trying to do all this watching in all these different directions, it's, it's nearly impossible. Um, so when you've got a multiplicity, at least two, even more, the more the better, you've got more eyes to be able to watch uh, over, the, over the welfare and the well-being of, of the flock of God. Verse 31, therefore, uh, this is why you need to be alert. Remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. And Paul, it's kind of putting himself forward as being, in some sense, kind of a, a model of you know. While I was with you, I kind of showed you what it was like to to shepherd, to have the kind of concern for folks and have an alertness about you, uh, and to you know uh, always be doing some of that admonishing. You know, the, I think it, is that the word it's using the numeric Standard. Yep. Uh, Admonishing with tears again, admonition is never fun to have to do, and sometimes it is accompanied with some some tears of 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 pain or sadness. Um, but that's the that's the level of of devotion that we have to the flock. That's what these elders are being called to do. Verse thirty two, and so now I commend you to God and to the word of His grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. Um, the emphasis here once again on the word and you, know, you think about the the tools that a shepherd uses you know the i mentioned earlier the the crooked staff uh that the that a shepherd would use or you know the other items if, if you're talking about the tools of a shepherd in a local church the, the primary tool is the book you yeah. know you know, here's a parent who maybe they've got a son who's kind of rebelling, or you know, not really showing spiritual interest, and so they call the elders to come over. I'll go ahead and give you some insight, parents. If you call the elders, or even if you call the preacher to come and sit down and to talk with your kids, we got one tool in our arsenal. Yeah, <laughs> it's the Bible. That's all we got. We don't have any, there's no magic formula about that. There's no really even any kind of special words. There's no other kinds of tricks up our sleeves that we can bring. We come with this, with the word of His grace that's able to build people up and provide the inheritance that that we all want. And when people don't care about the word, I got nothing. That's all I got, and that's all that an elder's got. And so, don't, don't, don't call for the elders of the church to come, you know, speak whether it's to your kid or, or, or to you or to anybody else, thinking that they've got some kind of a magic wand. Nope, they're going to bring the book, and that's it. That's all that there is.
1: Yeah, that's you know, we when we think that we can survive without regularly studying the Bible without looking at God's Word, you know, how do we expect to be built up? How do we expect to gain the inheritance? Uh, Because that's what that verse says, right? You know, that's how we get built up. That's how we have the inheritance. And and so there's so many things to think about with that. Um, If that's something you want for yourself, then we need to be studying. If that's something that we want for others, well, that's what we need to appeal to them with. You know, it's not nothing else but the word really matters Um, if we were able to get people you know in the doors and you know convert them um, without the word you know what is that what are we converting them to yeah it's not to have an inheritance among those who are sanctified something
0: entirely different
1: it is and so when we when we try to appeal to people in different ways and or if we just get this mentality of, well, there's just got to be something I can do. <laughs> or there, there's got to be some other way that I can a- appeal to these people because, you know, they're just not listening. Well, you know what we find in the Bible? People who don't listen. And Jesus himself, not everybody followed him. You know, Paul, he spoke really well. Not everybody listened to him either. And so, if if we try to em- emphasize um, the wrong things, then we're going to end up, um, you know, somewhere that we shouldn't be. So that is our focus. You know, there is power in the word. You know, we cannot downplay that in one bit. Yeah.
0: The well, go back to verse 28 when he mentions there to care for the church of God or shepherd. Uh, the, the King James just uses the word to feed the church of God. Well, well, where's the feeding come from? the feeding comes from the book it's it's very multi functional as to what the bible <laughs> no, does true. you know it serves as as the staff to protect uh, it serves as the tool to, to, to pull back in a, a, a wayward sheep. It serves as the actual sustenance and the food in order to make the sheep good and strong and plump and um, you know, full of, of, of life and energy. Um, it all comes back to the book. There's just this emphasis again and again on, on the Word. and, um, and That's why you know, when you read the, the qualifications, There's a lot of things in the qualifications that revolve around the word and being able to handle it uh, correctly and so forth, and it's for these very, very purposes. I did want to say just one other thing about what Paul said in verse 31 about himself, uh, that he did not cease to do that admonishing, night or day. You know, this wasn't just something that you know when we're when we're admonishing someone that you know again we can just kind of do it you know one time and then. We're just kind of go on our way. Okay, look, I I did my job. I I went and admonished him. I, you know, I even shed a tear or two while I did it. And yeah, and now I'm done. No, it it, it may require continued admonition, continued teaching, continued uh, conversations and discussions. And so it will be. You know, for elders in the church that there's, I, I mean, I've had lots of conversations with elders where it's a lot of late nights, and it's a you know, a, a lot of hours being logged. Uh, you know. And certainly Peter even talks about how I think there's even a place for elders to be paid, and rightfully so, you know, for the work that sometimes that 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 does involve. Um, Verse 33 now, um, Paul speaking about himself once again, he said, I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my necessities and to those who were with me. Uh, We talked a little bit. I guess it was last week or the week before. You know when Paul, um, working with Aquila and Priscilla uh, as a tent maker, and how it certainly was his preference to not have to rob other churches. And so, as often as he was able to, you know, he didn't take anything from anybody. You know, even though certainly pr- there is a, a precedent and a, a biblical right for preachers to be paid for that work, uh, Paul says, "I tried to take care of myself because I didn't want, you know, didn't want that to be." You know, laid against me as some kind of a, a a problem or or a hindrance in being able to reach folks. Verse thirty-five. Furthermore, I wanted to set an example that in all things I've shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak. And then he says, we must remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, "It is more blessed to give than to receive." And that comes back to that giving thing that we talked about earlier. Now, the interesting thing about this quotation of of Jesus here is. It's not found anywhere in the Bible.
1: Don't know where it is. We have no idea.
0: Uh, Which just indicates to us that Paul, and even just the way he says this, kind of makes it seem like those elders or just other people in general, that they had some knowledge of the teachings of Jesus that exceeds even our own. And so the fact that it is recorded here by Luke, well, that then now makes it part of the, you know, the the canon of Scripture. And those are official words of Jesus that we can know for certain He did say, even though we don't know, you know, the original context in which He said them or to who He said them to or any of that sort of stuff. But um, maybe another example of that is um, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, you know, some of the stuff that Paul, Says there and talks about how he received these things from the Lord Jesus. Yep. Well, Jesus didn't say those things prior. He, that, that knowledge was given uh, just directly to Paul for that for that purpose to be able to impart there. But Paul employs these words on this occasion uh, to kind of help help tile this together in the the instructions here for these elders.
1: Yeah, I think that was a big deal um, that Paul was an example in that uh, because. You think of what the tendency could have been and i mean paul as he said in first corinthians 9 he had every right to take you know um and he was talking to the corinthian church there but i mean same thing here though um he had every right to uh you know be like well you know i'm supporting you spiritually you should support me physically um that would have been right that would have been fine that would have been a good thing but instead, not only did he provide for himself, but I like how in verse 34 not only his needs but for the men who was with him too mm-hmm. he was providing for them and showing giving them that example of working hard. Um, you think of, of the tendency and, and there's a few times where this happens in the New Testament, but you think so many times in the book of Acts we've already seen that you know the members of the church were so willing to help each other that they would sell what they had so mm-hmm. they could give to those who needed stuff mm-hmm. and so if you were in need and you were part of the church, you can find somebody to support you. You can find someone who would give you what you need. Um, and that was a great thing. But, as with a lot of things like this, there was a tendency where some people would take advantage of that. And so it's like, well, if you're going to give me what I need, I don't really have to work. You know, what's the point? I'm, I'm going to receive this from you. And I know you got to do it because, you know, you got to be generous. So uh, I'm just gonna take what you give me. What well, Paul says? No, yeah. <laughs> you know, I, I was an example of this. You need to be an example of this. Show the people that uh, that's not the attitude to have. That just because someone else is generous, that doesn't mean that we can take advantage of that. Yeah, he dealt with that with the Thessalonian church quite a bit. Uh, you know, telling telling them, you know, if you're not willing to work you shouldn't eat right either and so you know don't don't support that but again he told the church that you know there's a caveat there don't grow weary in doing good you know just because someone takes advantage of it doesn't mean that you stop giving help right um, so there's balance to that but I, I just i just wanted to bring that up because paul himself is such a good example of that um and that he had every right he had you know, the capabilities of, of not working, you know, physically uh, to provide for, for himself. But he chose to do that so that no one else would have an excuse.
0: Right, that's exactly right. Because that's, again, th- there needs to be a place, and I realize, you know, I've got my regular nine to five job, and uh, all right, so that's gonna occupy parts of my time. I realize, you know, may not have the freedom to do as much yes. k- kingdom work as, as maybe the person who is, you know, full time devoting themselves to, to 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 preaching the word, uh, but Paul says that there needs to be a place for all of us where we're devoting and we're working hard for God uh, wherever we are, and that we're giving of ourselves in, in in that way. And you know what? If we don't get paid for it monetarily, that's okay. You know, there's there's payment coming. You know, when we get to the end of this journey, that's far greater than any amount that would ever fit inside of our wallet or our bank account. Uh, so then in that sense, it is much more blessed. You get a much greater blessing when you are a giver uh, than you are worried about receiving.
1: It's, it's interesting. Uh, he, Paul, when he wrote to the church at Ephesus, chapter 4, when he talks about let those who stole still no longer, mm-hmm. but work with your own hands, not only so that you would have enough for yourself, but that you would have enough to share with others as well. Uh, and so I wonder if that is, is is sort of you know, he's talking about that issue here. You know that uh, it is stealing if you accept you know help when you don't need it. I Yeah, mean, that, that's what it is. And so, but that whole attitude, we, it, we would be fixed in so many aspects of our lives if we listen to that. So bless it together. Yeah,
0: it's got it's got wide ranging application, and we could spend a lot of time on it. But let's let's wrap this up. Thirty six through thirty eight concludes it. And when he had said these things. He knelt down and he prayed with them all, and there was much weeping on the part of all. They embraced Paul and they kissed him, being sorrowful most of all because of the word he had spoken, that they would not see his face again, and they accompanied him to the ship. And so... um, Everybody who's gathered here, Paul, the elders. There may have even been some others. You know, Paul had sent those some messengers in to get them and bring them, and some of these other travelers. Maybe they were present as well. But there's just kind of this visible display of of, of emotion, and um, there's there's absolutely a, a place for that. In you know, certainly we can you go to extremes where there's. You know, emotionalism, that is, you know, having emotions just for the sake of emotions and putting on some kind of a big display as if that in and of itself is a sign of, of spirituality. Uh, that, that's all just a bunch of, of nonsense. But, but this here, this is the way it is in the family of God. Uh, that our, our, the bonds that we develop, and, you know, especially when we kind of are, are in the trenches together and we go through the, the peaks. And we go through the valleys together, and we we suffer together, and we laugh together, and uh, there's that all the lyrics of that song, God's family, you know that song, yeah. you know, and it talks about that, and uh, and so then it's natural that you know there are times where we are just gonna you know, weep with those who weep, Paul says um, in, in Romans, but uh, even right here everybody's weeping together. There's um, you know, there's there's sadness, but I think it's, it's tinged with some joy that we're, we're, we're part of God's family, and um, there's not really ever any final goodbyes in God's family. It's just a, a, a see you later. Um, but there still is kind of the natural earthly feeling that these men have where it says they were sorrowful most of all over the fact that Paul, you know, indicated that he would never see them again. And so... Um, that then brings to a close uh, this this meeting between Paul uh, and these elders and no doubt the escorting him to the ship was just kind of a that was a custom of the time as a as a way of demonstrating Godspeed and uh, giving final encouragement as someone's about to go on their way um, what else you want to say about this
1: well just one one thing to just wrap up all my thoughts of this chapter um, is just that in a lot of ways we need to be more open uh, with each other mm-hmm. and more connected. I, I think too often we, we get uh, just are so individualistic with our approach and and we're like I, I can do Christianity on my terms as long as I am doing okay I'm, I'm good. Um, but we see so much uh, especially here of, of being emotionally attached to people, um, emotionally attached to, to people who are teaching the gospel you know, we, we just we care more, and we yep. need to, to be involved more, open up to each other more, um, and to to really realize we're in this struggle together, and, and we're we trying to give encouragement wherever we can to each other, and we're trying to um, just just be there, uh, be an example to others, and to help equip others to the work of equipping others and, and reaching out to the world around us. Uh, and I think all this, with the verse that, A few verses stick out to me, but just say not shrinking back because, Mm -hmm. you know, that's an important thing, but also the word that's able to build us up and give us the inheritance. I mean, that's where the power is, and that's why we've been saying every single time, keep studying.
0: Yep. Well, we're setting records. Let me go ahead and tell you here. And uh,
1: <laughs> this
0: was a this was a, a a big chapter, not so much in the sense of the, the length of it, but just the the weight of what's happening here. And so I was glad to, to get to spend the the length of time. And let me, let me just say, if you are listening and you have gotten all the way to this point. Um, Reach out to me. Would you send me an email or a text message if you know me personally, uh, or drop a message on the church's Facebook page? Because I want to give you a prize. I want to give you an award for uh, for being with us for the entirety of of this particular session. You've you've been very gracious to listen to us ramble on this long but uh we just get excited talking about the scriptures uh, with 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 other people who are eager to talk about the scriptures and so we hope and this has been the design of all of this from the beginning is that to just show that it is possible to just sit down with another person um, particularly someone who, who, who maybe is not a Christian. That would be the ideal thing. Mm-hmm. And, and to just discuss the Bible and come to an understanding of God's will for our lives. And we're getting a lot of that as we're uh, watching these early Christians here in the book of Acts. Next week, chapter 21, Paul arrives in Jerusalem. He's going to get arrested. Um, we're going to take it from there. And I'll just go ahead and be honest with you. Chapter 21 through the remainder of Acts, is probably the less familiar part of the book to me. You know, the first 20 chapters, I've got little, you know, kind of little headers in, in my mind as to, oh yeah, this is what that chapter is. 21 through 28, not as strong and familiar. So this will be helpful for me. Maybe you'll teach me some stuff uh, along the way, and we hope will be of benefit to, to folks who are listening to us. Jason, thank you for joining me. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Talk to you next week.